Hello and welcome to the Big Question Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Jason Knapp, where we answer the big questions of history. Today's big question, we're still back in China here with this revolutionary chaos that has been going on. And, you know, to kind of catch us back up to speed, all right, you know, after the fall of the Qing Dynasty, Chiang Kai-shek, right, and the nationalists, right, had, should we say, teamed up with this communist party in China to kind of, should we say, get, or at least try to get control of China. However, you know, eventually the nationalists turned on the communists and, of course, their leader Mao Zedong. And, you know, as we kind of left off, you know, started hunting down the communists. And before you know it, Mao and the, the communists had to try to escape on the long march. And, you know, they eventually get to safety up there in northwest China for now. Okay. So today, the, the, the big question where we want to start is, let's look at this new China that Chiang Kai-shek is trying to build. And what characterized this new China? Well, Chiang Kai-shek was trying to build this new Chinese nation. And he publicly declared his commitment back to the, should we say, founder of the Nationalist Party, Sun Yat-sen's plans for republican government. Chiang Kai-shek and also his wife, Madame Kai-shek, I mean, they're kind of a team here. So I'll be bringing up Madame Kai-shek here as well. But, you know, as Sun Yat-sen mentioned, uh, you know, moving from the Qing dynasty to this new government would need, or should we say, a transitional period, a, a political tutelage, as it was called. Um, you know, you're going from thousands of years of being ruled by an emperor to try to form a republican government that the the Chinese are going to have to be taught how, should we say, a republican government would work. So Sun Yat-sen, of course, was um, the proponent of this. And as he said, China needs a republican government just as a boy needs school. As a schoolboy must have good teachers and helpful friends. So the Chinese people being for the first time under Republican rule must have a far-sighted revolutionary government for their training. This calls for the period of political tutelage, which is a necessary transitional stage from monarchy to republicanism. Without this, disorder would be unveilable, unquote Sun Yat-sen. So, Chiang Kai-shek is trying to live out, should we say, this dream of Sun Yat-sen. Well, Kai-shek announced that, uh, that plans of Sun Yat-sen would be lived out and political training would be required to prepare them for a constitutional government. But until then, until then, the nationalists would, would use dictatorial powers, okay, and um, you know, try to institute land reforms and modernize the industry, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit more here later. Uh, however, in China, you know, I think what Chiang Kai-shek has got to be concerned about here is 
And there's a lot of years of neglect and civil war that had severely weakened the political and economic and social fabric of the nation. Now, Chiang Kai-shek has encouraged or continued to encourage a lot of Western investment, okay, from the outside, uh, namely the United States, and work closely with a lot of foreign investors. Um, when we talk about the United States in World War II, of course, Chiang Kai-shek will be our partner. So there is a, a tie here to uh, the United States. And even Madame Kai-shek uh, was friends with Eleanor Roosevelt. Anyways, uh, Chiang Kai-shek, I think, fails to consolidate power. Um, he really fails to improve the economy, especially with the peasants. And I just don't know how far he really even modernizes China, although I'll, I'll talk about some positive and negatives here at the end of Chiang Kai-shek. But let's remember, in China, I mean, the, the rural peasants, I mean, 80% of China's population is peasant. And they're still very poor, and they're very, should we say, overwhelmingly illiterate. But Chiang Kai-shek, as we said, attempts to modernize. and But at the same time, he tries to bring back some Confucian values. Okay, so it's an interesting little mix. The old and the new, you know, some Confucian values, which is the old Chinese philosopher, this ethical system. It was so important for so many years, but also bring in Western technology, okay? His political base really seems to be the elites in the middle class of China. So he doesn't really have a lot of peasant support. We'll have to keep that in mind, all right? Because we had mentioned last time, Mao is doing a very good job of winning the hearts and the minds of the peasants. But Kaishek continues to struggle uh, with a lot of military, social, and political issues. So I think neither the liberal nor the traditional interests are really satisfied with the changes he's, he's trying to make. Thus, while attempting, I think, to build this modern industrial China, uh, he tries to bring together some modern Western innovations with these traditional Confucian values of hard work and obedience. Uh, again, so this old and the new, Speaking of new, uh, this new life movement, it was called, this goal to kind of promote these traditional Confucian social ethics, you know, such as integrity and propriety and righteousness, you know, the four ancient Confucian virtues, okay, were courtesy and duty and honesty and honor, okay? So he's, he's reaching back to the past, but also looking to the future. Now, this westernized middle class, though, I think, begins to form in China, okay, especially in the cities. And that's kind of an important, maybe, should we say, dichotomy, is that, you know, meanwhile, as Mao Zedong said, you know, he's swimming in a sea of peasants out there in the countryside. Timak Kai-shek uh, is more supported by the people of the cities of China. Anyways, it was here that this new government uh, in Nanjing was founded and by Kaishek. And that's kind of where his power base is, where his support lies. But these new westernized elites um, are just concerned with the middle class. 
and maybe not the entire population of China. So the Western values of individual advancement and definitely materialism you know, are going to be looked down upon by many in China. But as you can see, uh, you know, Western fashion, I mean, some of the middle class Chinese start to dress more Western. If you look at the men and the women in their clothes, unfortunately for Chiang Kai-shek, uh, these Confucian ideas have been widely discredited as well when the traditional system failed to provide answers to China's decline. Okay. And Chiang Kai-shek's government, really, when we look at it, only had uh, control over just a handful of provinces, okay, in in the uh, Chenjiang Valley of China. So they, they don't have control of all of China. Also, let's remember the Japanese are threatening to gain control of northern China. I mentioned they invaded Manchuria in 1931. Okay, so that's a problem. And the Great Depression has now also started to have an ill effect on China's economy by the 1930s. So all of these problems have created a lot of difficulties for Chiang Kai-shek. However, there, there are some things that Chiang Kai-shek did uh, I guess, succeed with uh, a, a good road building project. He repaired and extended a lot of the country's railway system. More than 50,000 miles of highways were built around and kind of through the coastal areas. You know, some more positives uh, through a series of agreements, um, the, the foreign powers who had been in China for, for a very long time um, had ended some of their leases and they gave up their extraterritorial rights and, you know, kind of return the custom services back to Chinese control. Okay. Uh, Chiang uh, also established a national bank and improved the educational system. Okay. And um, so there are, there are some positives to say uh, that Chiang Kai-shek um, succeeded in. However, Chiang Kai-shek's uh, also suppressed opposition and censorship. So no free expression. And so there are some negatives here of Chiang Kai-shek. And I think because Chiang's support came from, should we say, a lot of, um, you know, of the wealthy, uh, whether it be the landed gentry of the countryside or the noble, so to speak, of China. And as I mentioned, that urban middle class, uh, he, he doesn't push for pro, pro programs that would really lead to what China needs, and that's a redistribution of wealth, okay, which is this kind of shifting of wealth from the rich minority to really a poor majority, okay? So th this land reform program that was enacted in 1930, you know, it seems to be a good idea, but it has little effect on the country little effect on the country. And a lot of that might have also to do with the Great Depression and the fall of the economy. Okay. But here's a quote from 1946. Now, this is after uh, the uh, World War II. But looking back on Chiang Kai-shek, quote, we must frankly admit the fact that in these 20 years, the machinery and practice of the Chinese Nationalist Party or Kai-shek's party have turned in a wrong direction, inconsistent with the party constitution drafted by Dr. Sun Yat-sen 
1923, and contrary to the spirit of democracy, the practice of the Revolutionary Party has subsequently become the same as that of a bureaucratic regime. So looking back on Chiang Kai-shek here, not a favorable interpretation. Chiang Kai-shek's government also had, I should say, uh, little success in promoting industrial development. Um, in those 10 years from 1927 to 1937, the industrial Growth in China averaged only about 1% a year, 1%. Much of the national wealth was in the hands of, believe it or not, just four families, okay, a group of senior officials and maybe close subordinates of the ruling elite. And uh, let's also mention that the military expenses took up approximately half of the budget. So there was little money I guess, left for social and economic development of China. Well, if things uh, don't look great, uh, they're, de they're definitely not going to get any better because here comes Japan, okay? And, uh, you know, by 1937, the Japanese are going to invade uh, the rest of mainland China, okay? And World War II eventually, or we should say inevitably, I guess now has begun in Asia with the Japanese. So there's that new China uh, that was attempted, I guess, under Chiang Kai-shek. A lot of mixed results, okay? This is kind of where we can leave it, okay? The Japanese are, are invading, and as I mentioned earlier, is Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists actually going to have to team back up again with Mao Zedong and the communists to actually try to defeat the Japanese here in World War II. Well, again, thank you for joining the Big Question Podcast. We'll see you next time.